Welcome to this episode of the Disease to Shore podcast on the topic of horses losing weight with Claire Tunis, PhD, a private equine nutritionist. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Tunis is an equine nutritionist who owns Clarity Equine Nutrition based in Gilbert, Arizona. Dr. Tunis works as a consultant with veterinarians, horse owners, and trainers globally to take the guesswork out of feeding horses, and she provides services to select companies. As a nutritionist, she works with all equids, from leg competitors to miniature donkeys and everything in between. Born in England, she earned her undergraduate degree at Edinburgh University in Scotland and her master's and doctorate in nutrition at the University of California, Davis. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Tunis. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's always fun to chat with you, Kim. Well, we're really happy to have you here today. And this is a little bit different because we're talking today about horses that veterinarians have not diagnosed with an underlying physical problem that would make them lose weight, correct? Yeah, and I think that's a really important distinction, right? Because we always want to make sure that we don't have some medical issue going on, you know, whether that's their teeth need doing or they've got issues with internal parasites or something like PPID Cushing's or some other reason that they might be losing weight. Those need to be ruled out. So, yes, we're talking about otherwise healthy horses. Okay, so the other thing is that we often talk about horses losing weight in the winter months. But what about in the summer? What are, are you seeing horses that just lose weight in the summer months and what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I live in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, it is really hot here right now. <laughs> I think it's 115 today. And um Although people say it's a dry heat, we're in monsoon season, so we're about 45% humidity. So, you know, it's pretty warm out. And we do see horses losing weight in the summer. And interestingly, I te- personally, I tend to notice it more in the thoroughbred types than the warm blood types. They seem to be a little bit more sensitive, but it is a bit of a battle. It's kind of our winter, you know, compared to everywhere else. And so the heat plays a role. Um, and then the other thing that I think plays a role is that I notice some of the horses that struggle to maintain weight are also those that are a little bit more sensitive to flies. So, you know, when there's flies in the barn, if they're stomping their feet, you know, we don't think about that, but that's constant movement, right? That constant agitation of stomping their feet, burning calories. Um, it's also stressful, right? Being bugged by flies is stressful. Like you're just always on edge because you just can't get, you know, you can't get away from them. So, you know, using fans and things to keep the flies off is really helpful, fly stuff. But, you know, some of these horses, you know, even with fly sheets and boots and whatever, they're still pretty miserable. We get mosquitoes coming in. You know, we're in an area where they irrigate. So the mosquitoes can get really, I mean, I've, I've seen horses almost present like they're having colic. They're so bugged by the mosquitoes, um, you know, throwing themselves against panels to itch because they're so itchy. Um you know, and those, I've seen those same horses really struggling to maintain weight. It's like they're always moving. They're always agitated. They're, you know, bugged by the flies. And then just the heat. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the diets, you know, we always want to feed forage first. But forage is digested through fermentation in the hindgut. It's not a, an, you know, it's not a fully efficient um, process. And so as a result, it generates heat. And I think we've all heard as horse owners in the wintertime to help keep our horses warmer we should feed more forage because it does ferment and it does generate heat. Um, 
but it's doing that in the summer too. So, you know, here's my horse standing outside 105, 108, 90, whatever your hot temperature is. And we're feeding him lots of forage and his internal combustion engine is cranking out heat internally while he's being beat on, you know, by the external heat. That can actually make horses, I think, not, you know, they can not eat as much or as well um, because it's just not, you know, they're not stupid. You know, they know that eating all this hay is, you know, is uncomfortable in a sense. So um, it can be useful sometimes to change what you feed a little bit in the summer if you've got one of these horses and, and maybe not. I always want to make, I mean, just to be clear, I always want to make sure there's plenty of forage in the feed, but maybe, you know, in the summer, it's a time to find something that's a little bit more efficiently digested to help supplement your hay. So you can cut back a little bit on your hay and that will help some horses. Such as what? Give us an example of that maybe and you can help us. Yeah. So, I mean, I would first off try and stick with, you know, fiber sources if I can. Um, there are some fiber sources out there that are easier to ferment. They're, they're, for example, beet pulp, soybean hulls, those kinds of ingredients are um, more readily fermentable. So it's more you know, effective. They're, they're, they can ferment that more easily than they can ferment hay. So, yes, there'll be some heat generated off of that still, but it's not going to be, you know, it doesn't take as long to do. So, and they get more calories out of it too. So, for example, um, pound for pound. If you were to feed a pound of hay, um, you know, a pound of beet pulp is going to give you about 1.3 megacalories per pound, somewhere in that region. A pound of hay is going to give you one megacalorie per pound. So you can actually get, you know, the same calorie intake still coming from a fiber source um, from less total feed if you were to substitute some of your hay with something like beet pulp. Um, and so you're going to end up feeding less total quantity of hay and they'll get the same calorie intake. And there's research that's been done that shows that you can feed up to sort of 45, 50% of their forage intake as beet pulp. Um, so that's certainly something to look at. Obviously, the most calorie dense source of uh, you know, calories that we have is to feed fat. So feeding, say, an oil um, will get uh, very, you know, high levels of calories into them off of a very small amount of feed. So, but obviously, you know, we have to think about, we often don't think about fat um, and rancidity and obviously heat and fat don't always go together. Yeah. So you need to make sure that your fat sources are stable. Um, hmm. I always like to try and feed, if I'm going to do an oil, I want to do an oil that's got some omega-3 in it. So I'm getting a little bit of other benefit beyond just the calories. I'm getting some of that omega-3 that helps regulate inflammatory processes in the body. Um, but that means you're looking at things like flaxseed oil, and they're not super stable um, in the heat. So you probably need to have somewhere to keep that cool which can be a problem for some people because not all buns, you know, have a refrigerator or certainly not a refrigerator that you can keep a gallon jug of oil in. Or, or um, air-conditioned tack room. I mean, yeah, be- oh, we don't have an air-conditioned tack room. No, I mean, our tack room is, I mean, it's, it's certainly cooler than outside, but it's not air-conditioned. It's a, you know, it's a tin shed <laughs> with, uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it's still hot in there. So, yeah, just, you have to think a little bit about that. Um, obviously, things like stabilized rice bran, is higher in fat and it's stabilized, so it should be okay in the hotter temperatures. Um, and then obviously you have your higher fat feeds as well, right? So you have your high fat, high fiber, 
either performance feeds, there's some really nice senior feeds out there that are high fat, high fiber. Um, those tend, especially the senior feeds, tend to be pretty readily digestible as part of what we look at when we put together a senior feed because we know our seniors don't digest things quite as well. Um, so those tend to be uh, a little more easily digestible perhaps or have very digestible ingredients in them. So those can be a good option uh, for horses. And they're you know, a little higher in calories again. Um, you have to be careful that you're, you're feeding the right amount. Um, you know, again, it's, it's about creating a balanced diet, right? So, I mean, this applies to anybody, whether their horse needs to gain weight or not. Um, and I think we've, we've talked about this previously, um, you know, the need to really um, balance your forage and provide what's missing in your forage. So either by using a, you know, a ration balancer, or if you're going to do something like a senior or performance feed, you need to be able to, you need to feed as much as it says on the bag. And for some underweight horses, that may be, you know, you may be feeding that. You may be feeding five, six, seven, eight pounds a day. If they're underweight and trying to get weight on them, that may not be an issue. But if you've got one that's just like a little bit under or you're just trying to kind of, you know, help kind of keep them where they need to be and you're just feeding a couple of pounds, that's not going to give you everything you need, right? Those, those feeds are designed to be fed a higher quantity. So you really need to have that ration balancer in there as well. If you're if you're underfeeding your senior and performance feed and you're not following the feeding directions, you really need to fill the gaps with a balancer or some other uh, type of supplement to make sure the whole diet is really where it needs to be and balanced. Oh, those are those are great points. So we talked about foraging, concentrate, and supplements. Let's talk just a little bit about each one in particular. So forage. When you're looking at your forage and a lot of people have a choice between grass hay, grass alfalfa mix, alfalfa, brome. I mean, there's just all kinds of forages. So what are you looking for if you're trying to feed a horse in the summer to make it digestible, maybe work its way through a little quicker so they're not, like you said, the, the internal combustion engine and heating up all the time? Yeah, certainly this is a time for your better quality forages, right? Whatever sort of species of plant you go with, right? So whether it's brome or timothy or orchard or whatever, and if you've got a little bit of alfalfa in there too, you know, whatever it is that you've picked, this is the time for that slightly less mature, less stemmy, higher nutritional value hay, because it is going to be easier for them to ferment that super stemmy, um, late cut, mature hay that I think of as being a, it's a great hay for an easy keeper is not going to be such a good hay for that harder keeper, especially in the summer. So, you know, this is where, you know, having that, you know, understanding forage quality and, and how, you know, plants mature and, and being able to kind of look at a hay and say, okay, this one's, you know, going to take a little bit more fermenting to get the nutrition out of it than this one that's, um, uh, got a little bit more leaf, a little bit less stem, was obviously cut at a slightly earlier stage. Now, you know, if you if your horse does have metabolic issues, that can be a bit of a challenge because those less stemmy, more leafy hays are more likely to have a higher sugar and starch content, um, especially if the, the timothies and the orchards, those cold season grasses will have a higher sugar content. Um, so that may make them an inappropriate choice if you have a horse with metabolic problems. Um, but my, the majority of horses that have metabolic problems don't tend to be 
you know, hard keepers. Although, you know, some of those more senior Kushnoi horses do fall into that, um, you know, category. And I, and I think it's worth mentioning, we mentioned at the beginning that, um, you know, we're not talking about horses that have underlying health issues. Um, but I think that there's, a, there's a, definitely a group of people out there that are managing horses that they know they have a health issue, right? They know they're dealing with something like Cushing's or PPID. They've, they've got them on percent, they're managing them, and they're struggling to keep weight on them. I do think it's worth, you know, checking back in with your vet. I mean, maybe your, maybe your percent dose needs to be tweaked. Maybe things are not, you know. I, I definitely have clients who are a little bit guilty of um, they've had the horse diagnosed a couple of years ago, and they haven't done a lot of follow-up since, right? They, it's kind of been stable, and um, there's perhaps not quite understanding but, that that's a condition that you need to manage over time and that your vet probably needs to be looking at that horse and drawing blood twice a year and making sure that, um, you know, the medication dose is doing its job. So if, if you've got one of those horses and they're losing weight, um, you know, really do check in with your vet. Um, for, for our veterinarians who are listening to this podcast, um, that's probably something to add to your checklist. If, if you've diagnosed one of your clients' horses with PPID, you probably ought to be checking up with them on their weight. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I have a lot of clients who, who aren't getting the information that their PPID horses should be having blood work done in the early fall, late summer, early fall. Um, you know, and I'm always recommending to my clients that have that diagnosis that they need to reach out to their vets at sort of around about Labor Day weekend, right, and have their blood work retested to make sure that their PPID horse is handling that seasonal rise in ACTH appropriately and that they don't need to increase their medication during that seasonal rise period in September, October. Um, and a lot of clients have no idea that there's even an ACTH rise that happens through the summer, they're not getting that education. And it, it's very well, emotional, to be honest. You know, when you've got your horse, you know you have a PPID horse, you've got them on the medication, and then you end up with a horse that's founded in late September because you didn't know that there was this ACTH rise and they've had it for three years and you've had them on the one milligram pill of percent the last three years, they've been doing fine, and all of a sudden, you go out one day in late September and they're standing there on their heels with laminitis and they're like, what happened? And they had no idea that it's still a progressive disease, right? It's still progressing and that they should be monitoring it over time and that there's this ACTH rise through the late summer um, and that maybe they need a little extra help with their medical, you know, medication at that time of year. And it's, it's heart wrenching to these people because they thought they were doing everything and they didn't know. So I'm always encouraging my clients that have PPID horses to reach out to their vets in the late summer and that that's the time of year they should be getting. And, and there's a lot of confusing information out there because we used to say don't test in September, right, because you couldn't get an accurate test. But um, when you look at the, um, uh, the group from Tufts, the um, my brain is forgetting the name of the, 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 the working group for um, – both EMS and PPID that put out the latest guidelines, um, you know, they do recommend now that it is, you know, it is appropriate to test at that time of year, um, but, just, but, you know, with an ACTH test. So I think that's, I think that's an important thing for people at this time of year to realize you're managing senior horses. And if your horse is starting to lose weight, especially at this time of year over the summer, it may be that, you know, 
that PPID is not being as well controlled as it should as the seasonal rise is occurring. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's a great opportunity to reach out to your clients, right? And, and, and have touch bases with them and for sure. Work on your summer scan. Enter for the chance to win a Global Pocket Reader Plus in Merck Animal Health's Sizzlin' Summer Sweepstakes Giveaway. The Global Pocket Reader Plus is an ISO-compliant universal microchip scanner for horses. It is able to read and store up to 3,000 unique microchip identification numbers and displays and stores microchip temperatures when reading biothermo microchips. Enter before August 31, 2022 by going to www.merck-animal-health-usa.com forward slash species forward slash equine forward slash summer hyphen sweepstakes. And I want to go back a little bit when we were talking about the, the concentrates. So we talked about our forage, the foundation is forage. We know that. But our concentrates, because some of these horses, we need to give them a few more calories than they can get. But we also, like you said, don't want to overload them or, or burn them up on this. Right. And you recommended some senior feeds, and there's a lot out there. So what should you look for? If you're a veterinarian and you've got a client whose horse whether they're an older horse or not, um, what is he looking for to, to recommend to them, he or she, excuse me, looking mm-hmm. for to recommend to them to look for in a, in a concentrate feed? Looking at the um, feeding directions, looking at the guaranteed analysis, right? So if you're looking for something that's a little higher in fat, you're looking for, there are senior feeds out there that are kind of 10, 12% fat. Looking at the ingredient list, right, in the U.S., we list ingredients in decreasing order of inclusion. So what are the ingredients, right? I think that's, that's, that'll tell you a lot. The guaranteed analysis is great, but it also doesn't tell There's a lot of things it doesn't tell you. It doesn't really tell you where the calories are coming from. Actually, in horses, we don't even put the calories on the bag, right? That is now, for any of your vets that do mixed practice will know that, um, you know, that is now a requirement on small animal pet food bags after much fighting and taking many, many years. Uh, they're now required to state the calorie content on those bags, but that is not a requirement on equine feed. So you're going in totally blind <laughs> as far as what the calorie content is per pound. Um, you may, some companies put that on their website. Uh, a good number do not. Uh, most will give it to you if you phone them. But um Looking at the ingredient list, right? So what is your first ingredient? Is it beet pulp? Is it wheat middlings? Um, is there some vegetable oil, soybean oil, rice bran, um, oats? You know, so it's going to be a higher, if you've got more high starch ingredients up front, like oats, cracked corn, you know, steam plate barley, those kinds of things, you know that the majority of the calories in that feed are going to be coming from starch. If your first ingredients are things like beet pulp, soybean meal, alfalfa meal, I mean, sorry, beet pulp, um, soybean hulls, alfalfa meal, that kind of thing, that's going to be a higher fiber type, fermentable fiber type feed. And then you might see the oil in there and you look at the label and you say, oh, it's 10% fat. Then you're like, okay, well, that fat's coming from that soybean oil. Um, It's a high fat, high fiber feed and it's going to be a lower, generally a lower NSC feed. and perhaps safer if the client's horse is metabolic than the one that's got things like a lot of crack, you know, crack corn, oats, barley, that kind of thing in it. So I think it's important to look at the ingredients. That'll tell you where, you know, where are the calories coming from. Now, obviously, calories coming from 
the more grain type ingredients are going to be digested in the small intestine. They're not going to have that heat uh, fermentation aspect to them because those are digested enzymatically in the small intestine. So maybe that's something you want to look for. Um, yeah, you, know. if you don't have a metabolic horse. I mean, not all horses are metabolic. Right. So. Exactly. Absolutely. So you don't have to have these no. types of feeds for all horses. Again, which is why you should, you know, veterinarians should consult with nutritionists if they don't know exactly what should go in, or if they do know, then they should make those recommendations to clients. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's important to look at, you know, what is the horse doing for a living? You know, if this is a performance horse, show jumper, event horse, dressage horse, you want a little bit more, you know, or barrel racer or whatever, you've got a little bit more flexibility about what you can use as your ingredients as well, right? There's, there's no harm. They become very anti-starch. Very anti-NSC, and I think you raise a really good point, Kim. That you know, yes, there is a large population of metabolic horses out there, but there's a huge population of horses that are not metabolic, and and certainly the horses standing around without a job does not need to be fed high starch feed. But you know, these horses that are working hard, performance horses that you know have a job to do and are struggling to maintain their weight, there is nothing wrong with feeding feeds that have grain in them. You know, and many of our, you know, we, we understand a little bit more now that, you know, back in the day, think about things like wheat, barley, oats, corn. I mean, they range 40 to sort of 70 percent starch. You know, back in the day, that's what we fed. Right? We fed cob, we fed straight grains. We were feeding a lot of starch. A lot of traditional racehorse feeds are over 30 percent starch. Um, and now a lot of our performance feeds are you know, what I would call moderate starch, they're in that 20 to 25 percent, you know, starch sugar, 30 percent max with maybe sort of an 8 percent fat. Um, you know, that's a very reasonable, um, you know, guaranteed analysis for a performance horse that's working hard if they need extra calories from, from grains. So I don't think we should be afraid of starch. We just need to understand, you know, who we're feeding, what their constraints are, um, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Now we're going to hit the big one, supplements. I mean, to me, the, the supplement that I trust the most, and, and it is a supplement, is the ration balancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good quality ration can do a, a lot for horses that are just on a forage diet. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, if, you, if your horse can maintain, I mean, so when I have a horse that's losing weight, you know, my, I mean, I'm talking about the heat and what have you, but... You know, the reality is when I have a client whose horse is underweight, the first thing I'd like to do is increase his forage, right? Because they are, that's what they're designed to eat. So, um, you know, that'll always be my go-to uh, is to feed more forage. And if I can maintain a horse's weight just by increasing the forage, then all I need is what's missing from that forage, which is going to be provided by that ration balancer. So absolutely. So, you know, for all the conversations about performance feeds and senior feeds, um, I would much rather try and maintain the horses we weight by feeding more forage first. Um, but if that doesn't do the trick, and there are definitely horses out there that they just won't eat any more hay, right? They're just not interested. Um, or, or you can't, and let's be honest right now, you can't find enough, you don't have enough hay available, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think we have to, <laughs> that's a reality right now. Um, you know, so you may not, you know, 
you may be looking at your stack of hay saying, yeah, I mean, I'd love to feed more hay, but this is going to last me a year and I don't have the luxury, you know, I can't really feed. I'm feeding one and a half to 2% of body weight per day. Let's, see, let's get that out there, right? We need to be feeding that kind of minimum one and a half, 2% of body weight per day. Bare minimum, um, you know, would be 1% of body weight. I don't like doing that, you know, without a vet's recommendation. I think sometimes we end up with other problems when we go down to that little amount of forage. Um, and if we're going to 1% of forage, percent of body weight and forage per day, then we're hopefully really putting some other stuff in there too, performance fees and things. I mean, that's filling that gap. But yeah, you might be in a situation where it's just not a reality to feed more forage because you don't have that much forage available. And I love the, the choice of oils, but you know, you have to, as, as veterinarians and, and even horse owners who might be listening to this podcast, you need to start those slowly. So oh, veterinarians yeah. make sure that they recommend that, okay, you can you can wait, work your way up to one or two cups a day, but but how do you get it started? How can rec- how can veterinarians recommend starting an oil, and what should they recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time when I'm if I'm recommending an oil just because I want a shiny coat and I want some omega threes, then I'm looking at you know maybe a quarter cup oil a day from a high omega-3 source like flax or camelina or the ahi oils or whatever, that kind of a thing. Um, but those are the more expensive oils, let's be real. Um, so if we're using oils for weight gain and wanting to do two cups a day, most people are not going to be using those kinds of oils for that purpose. It's often cost prohibitive, right? So, you know, in an attempt to still get some omega-3s, then I'd be looking at canola or soybean oil. I generally stay away from corn oil. There's no omega-3 in corn oil. Um, I think it's also really important to understand that when you feed an oil, especially a grocery store-bought canola, soy, or corn oil, those have been uh, refined to remove. You know, so, um, you know, as human consumers... We like everything to be uniform and the same color every time we go to the store. So those oils are heavily refined to remove all of the beta carotenes and all the color from them so they're a uniform color. Because otherwise, you know, one can of oil you go buy would be one color, and the next time you go back and buy canola oil again, it'd be a totally different color. Um, so they've taken all, that, all those goodies out of it. Um, and so really, all you're getting from fat, from an oil source, is calories. Right. You're not getting any zinc. You're not getting any protein. You're not getting any other nutrients. And so I think it's important to understand that if you are somebody, you know, if you're going the route of hay, beet pulp, rice bran, or beet pulp and oil, or beet pulp oats and oil, that kind of a thing, your diet is going to be deficient in some pretty important nutrients because you don't have any fortification source in there. That's the benefit of doing that high fat performance or senior feed is it's got a, you know, it's got a trace mineral vitamin pack in, in it that is going to make sure that diet, when it's fed, fed as you know, prescribed by the manufacturer, is going to result in a diet that's properly balanced and doesn't have any deficiencies. When you add oil to a ration, um, you're only adding calories. Okay, good point. And again, I, I love the fact that it, it's important for veterinarians if, if owners say, yeah, I've been feeding the senior feed and... They say they look at the bag and say, OK, so this this one calls for, I don't know, five pounds a day or whatever it is. Let's look at your scoop. Let's look at what you're doing. Let's let's measure it, because that is an issue. It's a lot of times they go, oh, I don't want to feed more than two scoops a day. And that turns out to be three pounds. 
Right. And, you know, unfortunately, veterinarians have to deal with the horse owner's way of feeding. So they sometimes have to get into it that deep to try and solve the weight problem. Absolutely. I mean, you you do have to, you know, if your client sort of says, oh, well, I'm feeding this senior feed, you know, it holds up the bag. That's great. Then you have to follow up and say, well, how much are you feeding? And then you have to, you know, and scoops or whatever doesn't cut it because, you know, you need to know what it weighs. So I would encourage, you know, all the veterinarians out there, you should really have some kind of scale on your rig, you know, just buy yourself a fish scale. Actually, I love luggage scales because they're digital. And um, so I'm not looking at a little needle going, kind of going, is that three and a half or is that three and three quarters? It's like, you know, whatever, um, you know, luggage scales, you hold them out or whatever, and they zoom up and down with their numbers and they eventually stabilize and you get a solid number. You can just read the digital number. It's, it's kind of idiot proof. 10 bucks, not even on Amazon or somewhere, right? Um, really a good... Uh, really a good uh, thing to have. So um, you should definitely have one of those. And weighing hay as well, right? So I know for a lot of the horse owners out there, it's not realistic to weigh hay. But that is a big, I've seen that too. So I've seen horses losing weight. It's because they got a new shipment of hay in, and the uh, folks feeding, you know, bless them, a lot of, you know, boarding barns, different people feed every day of the week or whatever, or, um, you know, the, the barn says, the board says feed a flake. And you go from, you know, we have these like mega alfalfa flakes down here, almost 10 pound a flake. Then we'll get a batch in and you're lucky if the flake weighs five pounds. But some people are very literal. The board says feed one flake and they're not super educated, you know, and they don't know that, well, that means now you need to feed two flakes because when the board was written, those flakes were mega flakes and now they're not mega flakes. And we had that happen, you know, at a barn that I worked with and all the horses started losing weight. We were like, what the heck is happening? And then we realized that there was a new person feeding and nobody showed them what a flake was. Right? So there was this assumption they knew what a flake was. They thought they knew what a flake was, but, you know, it wasn't the same. So, right. you know, weighing, uh, weigh, you know, if you um, can weigh your, get your clients to weigh their hair, even just weigh a few flakes, you can wrap it up with a piece of baling twine, like a, like a parcel, hang it on your luggage or fish scale, weigh three or four flakes and go, okay, so these flakes on average are, you know, five, six pounds if it's a three string bale of grass hay, maybe two or three pounds if it's a two string bale of grass hay. Um, you know, a horse this size, you know, 1,200 pounds, you know, it needs, you know, one and a half, two percent of his body weight per day. So we're looking at 24 pounds of, you know, hay for a 1,200 pound horse or a six pound flake. You're looking at four flakes a day. What does your bond, what does your board say he's getting? Oh, three. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a good starting point. And also just the opposite, because if you go from feeding a grass hay or that type of hay and then okay, so you're trying to improve calories and you slowly transition to an alfalfa, you would think people would feel the difference in the weight and of those flakes. But a lot of times it's like, you know, you're struggling to carry two flakes of alfalfa hay and, you know, you've just suddenly really upped what the horse is getting. Oh, absolutely. You were feeding four flakes of grass hay and if you feed four flakes of alfalfa hay, they may just be wasting it because they can't consume that much. 
Right. Absolutely. So, but I think it's, so it's, you know, it's not maybe realistic. Maybe your bond is not going to weigh hay every day. People get, you know, but you can, you know, and I think, you know, when you get a new batch of hay in, you know, if you've determined with your veterinarian or your nutritionist that your horse needs, you know, whatever it needs, 24, 30 pounds, whatever the poundage of hay is, when you get a new batch of hay in, go repeat that exercise of, you know, weighing three or four flakes and make sure that the three or four flakes in the new batch of hay is still giving you the poundage that you've determined your horse needs. Because maybe you need to change the board with this next squeeze of hay that came in because there, we see that, I've seen that with um, the hay that come into our barn. You know, our pony who's 900 pounds, you know, he gets a flake of grass in the morning and a flake of grass in the evening and a flake of alfalfa. And there are times where, you know, those are good solid six, seven pound grass flakes but we've had some tiny flakes come in and we've had to change the board to say okay well for this batch he needs to get two flakes yeah grass hay or, or maybe it needs to be it's not quite the same so we end up with two flakes of grass in the morning and one flake of grass and one flake of alfalfa in the afternoon it's like three flakes of grass ends up being the same as the previous two flakes and you change the board for that batch of hay um so i'd encourage you know vets to to get their owners to do that too. Again, we're talking about a 10 pound investment and maybe 10 minutes of your time, $10 investment. I got back from England. Apparently my brain is back on the, <laughs> is back in pounds, uh, uh, pounds money, but a $10 investment on a, um, on a scale and maybe 10 minutes of your time. And it's, it can make a big difference. You know, it really makes a difference. And you know, wasting hay. Yes. You know, and everyone's scrambling right now because feed prices are so expensive. And, you know, my, my number one thing to people is, well, first of all, don't waste it. You know, I go into barns and it's like they're using it for bedding. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, you can't stand there and, and be upset about the price, you know, of hay or whatever. And then you're like throwing it on the manure heap because you're using it as bedding. That's just silly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about just a normal horse that is losing weight because of the heat, the flies, the stress of summer. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Salt. Ah. You know, hydration is really important, and um, you know they they can. Get dehydrated pretty, you know, or at least not be as hydrated as they should be pretty easily when it's this hot out. I mean, we arrive and it's very interesting across our, like our barn where we keep our horse. It's fascinating because we'll have a number of horses that are in very sort of identical living situations. Some of them are just covered in salt. You arrive at five in the afternoon, they are white across the top of their backs from the amount of salt on their backs. Other horses, not a patch of salt on them. It's really interesting. I'd love to understand the metabolic differences going on in those horses that why that's the case um, and they're, they're all for the record they're all sweaters we're not talking the one that doesn't have salt is an anhydrotic horse and these are all healthy sweating horses it's just fascinating to me that some are you know giving off a lot more salt than others but giving salt making sure they have salt available um and it is important that they are eating hay there is a you know when horses eat forage um they are more likely to drink. The two kind of go together. So it is it is important that your horse is getting, you know, enough forage. And if you're if you're concerned about it and you're feeding um you know senior performance feeds or whatever and you're worried about water intake, you know, feed the feed the feed wet. 
right? Add some water to it. Any way you can get water in uh, is a good is a good thing. But I'm I'm a big believer in in salt every day, 360 days, 65 days of the year, and then giving electrolytes in addition when they're sweating heavily because you're sort of two tablespoons of table salt a day, that's just meeting, you know, the average horse's maintenance sodium requirements, standing around on a cool day, not doing anything. That doesn't account for sweat losses. So I'm a big, yes, yes, they should have a salt block available, but I like the peace of mind of knowing that they're getting their minimum sodium requirement every day because it does help keep them drinking. So I like to give them those two tablespoons of salt a day. It's about a tablespoon per 500-pound body weight is what is going to meet their maintenance sodium requirement. And then if they're working and sweating heavily or like here right now and it's, you know, they're just sweating, standing around doing nothing, you know, that's when you give your electrolyte in addition to the salt because the purpose of the electrolyte is to replace the electrolytes lost in sweat. Um, so that's, those, are, those are really important for, um, you know, maintaining weight as well. Okay. Well, Dr. Tunis, Thank you so much for joining me today to, to talk about, you know, weight loss in horses in the summer. And I think there were some great points in here that can be followed up on. We want to thank our audience for listening to Disease Du Jour and a special thanks to our sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to listen to past episodes of Disease Du Jour in case you missed one. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease George production of the Equine Podcast Network and entity of the Equine Network LLC.